I'm Beppe Signore. Hi, ah, sì. Hi, I'm Beppe Signore, ok. Poi? You're listening to? You're listening to? You're listening to? Mamma mia. Oh, ma just say, this is Golazzo. Hi, I'm Beppe Signore, and this is... I'm not, you are, yeah. Hi. I am Beppe Signore. Hi, I'm Beppe Signori. Hi, I'm Beppe Signori. And this is? And this is Golasso. Way! My campione. That's right, Galazzo back for another jaunt round the Italian game, taking in today the legendary Beppe Signori, the dawn of football Italia, and as we return with the bump to the present, the incredible lineup of games this weekend as the top eight all face each other. Lazio, Juve, Napoli, Roma, Milan, Inter and more in a weekend that couldn't look more appetising if you stuffed it with mozzarella and fried it. But we begin with this... Yep, that's right, it's 1992, top of the charts in Italy are Liotto Tre with their breakout hit, Anucisolo Moragno. While at the Luigi Ferrari Stadium in Genoa, the first game of the season, the first ever live match from Italy on Channel 4 is about to get underway. To discuss what happened next and the man who was the star of it all, Gabriele Marcotti, hello. Hello, great and, to be back. And welcome to you as well, James Horncastle. Hey, Jimbo. Mm. And we're starting off with this game because it was the start, at least for English viewers, of our awareness of a very special player, Sam Doria, who just played in a European Cup final at Wembley that summer, losing, of course, to Barcelona, facing Lazio, who'd just done one of the biggest deals in football history at that point for Paul Gascoigne. Paul wasn't playing because he was still coming back from his knee injury. You had Aaron Winter, who'd just arrived, Diego Fuzer, Karl-Heinz Riedler, Thomas Dole, and... Beppe Signori, who 20 minutes in already had the visitors 2-1 up. A centrocampo, Winter e Doll prevalgono con schemi più dinamici per le punte Signori e Riedel, mentre la Sampa, priva di Catanez e Bonetti... What a debut for Signori. Yeah, an incredible, got a brace, and there was a lot of pressure on him because I think he was replacing Ruben Sosa, who'd scored, what, 40 goals in three seasons. And yeah, after Signori's first two, he'd scored, what, 49, so he'd... he'd uh, he was super prolific, became an instant kind of fan favourite. Yeah, I think was seen as the best striker Lazio had had since Quinalia. Um, so, yeah, it was very much his dream to finish his career in that 11, number 11 shirt, but it was the opposite number to Dino's off on that day. A Samp manager, Sven-Goran Eriksson, who put pay to that by basically uh, chasing him out of town and saying, uh, I don't care how many goals you've scored. You know, I'm going in a different direction and poor old Beppe Signori had to leave for Sampdoria. He made him He made him warm up for 30 minutes without bringing him on. Yeah. And then Beppe knew that was, it and was time to make a move. Beppe spent all the, all night what, driving around Rome until six in the morning crying. The second time the club had tried to get rid of him. Mm. But we'll come on to that a little bit later on because at this point it's still the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And Channel 4 viewers are being wowed by this 3-3 draw at the Marassi between Sampdoria and Lazio. A little footnote, what would have happened if it had been a 1-0 or a 0-0? I wonder. But anyway, 3-3, and it seemed like tremendously exciting fare. Beppe was to go on to beat Capo Cannonieri in three of the first four seasons that we covered. Just phenomenal. And as he points out, 
because I, I met up with him on Friday, as he points out, this was in a league that contained the likes of Baggio and Van Basten and who knows how many other players. So this was no small feat, which is ironic because that's what he had. <laughs> but um, um, I think there was more to him. What struck me about Senor, I know it sounds like a cliche, was was a contrast that he offered to the rest of Serie So we've been through this at the time. A lot of the time, football was hyper-tactical, and so the idea was we need these super technically gifted players, and we'll have two or three of them, and they won't need to run, and then the other eight guys defend and win the ball, And but these geniuses are going to be enough to go and break things apart. I mean, that was kind of like, you know, other than Saki, who viewed the collective, that's that was sort of the general thinking. The thing about Pepe Signori is that he was obviously very quick and little and low center of gravity, but I would ask him, Pepe, how many people in Serie A, how many strikers in Serie A at the time, were better at f- playing football? They were, sorry, were, more, were better footballers than you in terms of technical ability. And then I would assume if he started counting them, he would easily get up into double figures. But then if you ask him how many were better at playing football, in other words, being in the right place at the right time, mm. getting those, those scrappy goals, finding the space... Are you accusing him of being a kind of fun-sized Pippo Inzaghi? Well, to be hey. honest, Signori does draw a lot of comparisons between him and himself and Inzaghi. I would say Signori always scored much more spectacular, technically accomplished goals than Pippo. But I think what's startling about Signori is that, yeah, for the first seven years of his career, he's in all the lower divisions. You know, he plays non-league, he plays mm. third division, plays second division. It's not until Zeman gets hold of him. Um, that he actually starts playing striker because he was a 10. He was a 10 mm. up until that point. Well, he was at Inter. They let him go for being too small. And then, as you say, he drifts around. He's one of only two players, he says, to have played in every single division on his, his way up. And, and Zeman gets him at Foggia and says, Ciao Bomber. And he says, so What are you talking about? I only scored five goals last year. <laughs> and Zeman takes a draw on his cigarette and waits about two minutes before replying, as he usually did, and then says, uh, you will see and, and, and it, how right he was. So one of the unique things, I think one of the things that people always think about with Signori was his penalty technique, which involved no run-up at all, which he says he was inspired by a darts tournament mm. to pick up. His first penalty for Foggia, he missed with a run-up, so he thought, you know what? Force is the enemy of precision, so just as darts players don't run up to the board and fling it, I'm just going to stand here and bang. But we actually... It was a very interesting day on Friday, a little bit too interesting in places. Uh, but amongst the many things that we did on our way to actually finally sitting down and talking was we we were in this kind of uh, soccer school thing in Bologna, which he, he helps with, uh, despite his lifetime ban from the sport, which we'll come on to shortly. Uh, and he took a penalty against me and scored, actually. And afterwards he said, um, it's the knees. He said, this was my technique. Always watch the knees. Goalkeepers, nine times out of ten... One knee is lower than the other because they're going to push off that one and dive the other way. So I always used to just aim whichever knee was lower, I'd go for that one. So there you go, penalty takers. It's in Ijinoki. Yeah. Wow, I'm, I'm impressed with that. Um, he says, actually, on that subject, you probably saw this in Gazeta, where he, he says that Barcelona rang him up recently and said, can you explain to Neymar how to take penalties? <laughs> and, and Neymar hasn't missed since. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's true. So Beppe Signore, there you go. Uh, there's so many stories about him. Um, Friday we met up and he, it was extraordinary. There was this kind of entourage of agents and procuratori and all these kind of people who were in some way connected and doing things with Beppe. 
And we went round, there was a big snowstorm going on in Bologna. We went round the soccer school and he, he took loads of penalties and free kicks. And generally, it, despite being dressed in a pair of trainers and this bizarre suit that looked like it was from a, a charity shop, it was very strange. Then uh, one of his managers says, no, we have to go to his cafe, which is called 188 after the number of goals that he scored in Serie A, because the Japanese soprano is waiting for us there. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we get there and there's a whole scene going on with girls and this uh, Eastern European barista who's made this diesel-coloured coffee cocktail called Il Bomber, uh, which, of course, we, we have to try. Uh, but then this Japanese soprano who's been brought in specially sings Beppe Faccion Gol. Um, and, in and, in yeah. a soprano falsetto? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, the soprano had been, what, flown in for I Japan know, I, special I, I for presume this? she was a local Japanese soprano. Why were you chronicling all this no, on, we were. on social media? Oh, I see. Well, because I was keeping, I keeping videos it videos and everything. Yeah. yeah. Well, it has been videoed for a good BT Sport. Yeah, I mean, that was the thing. They insisted, you have to film this. Because we were quite, quite keen, given the conditions, on getting our interview and actually sitting and talking. But there were a lot of hoops that needed jumping through before that. So have you been to the documentary about 25 years of Gazette? And just gone with the no, but, So then eventually we went, after going to his cafe, Centotantotto, uh, we went to his, his restaurant, Il Campione, uh-huh. uh, where he sat down and, and told us about all sorts of, of things, like the penalty technique and... Zeman at Fodger and also that business with the sale to Palmer, which mm. which he was on holiday when... In Brazil, when, yeah. Well, in Brazil, was it? Mm. And uh, the clubs say, we've decided to sell you to Palmer. And, and, and the Laziale, you know, we talked about this happening with Baggio in Florence when he was sold to, to Juventus. But the difference being that this time the club backed down. Dino Zoffo, I think, was the acting president at the time, mm. went, all right, we, we can't go through. I'm not sure if what the backstory is to this, but certainly the, the version that that is told, kind of the popular version, is that the fans taking to the streets and marching led to, basically pressured the club to back down. Is that your understanding, Gab? Yeah, so I think one of the, I mean, this is an old story for people who've been around Italian football, but there are certain players who have very close relationships with the supporters, all the supporters, including sometimes the ones who are a little more vociferous and, Signori was, because of his personality, obviously he's outgoing or whatever, he's not somebody who kept his, dif- his distance from the ultras. Let's just leave it that way. So at the time, if you were to, if you were to ask people, they would say, well, he kind of said, like, guys, you sure you want me to go? And how about you? You know, in a, in a democracy, we have free speech, right? We, right. We, we make our voices heard, you know, the same way people will go and, uh, and, and lobby sponsors or whatever. And... Um, and I, my understanding is that's what happened at the time. So the voice of the people was against what you might term the Bepsit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Anyway, so he stayed. And then, as you say, Sven turned up and forced him out anyway, heartlessly, to Bologna. Mm. Where he'd pack up all his bags and his world-famous collection of swatches, which he no longer has because they got stolen. Oh. Yeah? Sorry, who, who would steal swatches? swatches? <laughs> Bepi had a collection of, he thinks, about 50 swatches. <laughs> I know. I mean, look, I'm not saying because they're not valuable uh-huh. and they're little cheap pieces of plastic and rubber, but right. I mean, people have connections with penny stickers and you might be sad if somebody stole your connection, mm. but from the perspective of a thief, yes. I, I don't know if, if that's that, that's good resource allocations in terms of what you... you I don't know what thief. else they took. I don't know what else they took. But speaking of things on the wrong side of, of the law, we should also address the... As I mentioned, he's currently serving a life ban from the sport... Which he thinks is desperately unfair. Yeah. Now, he makes a point, and it is a fair one, 
that he's been born, banned by the sporting authorities. He's got a famous name. He says the, the investigation jumped on it because it was a very eye-catching, headline-making name. Uh, that he basically just had the wrong friends. He was guilty of nothing more than hanging out with the wrong people. And he's waiting for his day in court to basically... Yeah, he doesn't want the innocent. statute of limitations to run out. Right. Now, his case, I think, is due to finally reach court this year. But if it doesn't come through, I think, in the next year, 12 months or so, then, yeah, the statute of limitations means that he'll, he'll never have that day in court. Mm. And in the meantime, he is serving this, this life ban. The story... If you want to be a little cynical just yeah. about on that point, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, in Italy, if you commit a nonviolent crime mm-hmm. and your sentence is, other, is under two years, uh, you do not go to prison. The crime that he was charged with by the court is it's a a new crime called sporting fraud which covers a whole bunch of cases from doping or whatever this is obviously his his criminal side rather than the uh than the sporting side where he's already been banned there is no way that they're going to put somebody in prison for more than and no judge is going to sentence anybody to 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 prison for more than two years for the sorts of things that that he's accused of doing so what he kind of knows that he's either not going to prison because the statute of limitations will run out or He's not going to prison because he's going to be found innocent, mm-hmm. maybe. Or he's not going to prison because he'll be found guilty, but he'll be sentenced to six months, and they'll be like, okay, but it's under two years. You know, no need to put you in prison because you're a nonviolent offender, right. and, you know, let's go after the rapists and the drug dealers. Instead. Back in 2011, they did put him in prison briefly. No, they didn't. I mean, this is one thing he said. I've never been in prison. I've never had handcuffs put on me. I thought he was that, taken in. Uh, basically, he was taken in. But he was he was given a call. Um, he was in Rome at the time. They said contestazione termini, and there were two plainclothes police officers who took him took him back to Bologna, where he was under house arrest. So yeah, you know, this is one of the things that he he uh, really can't stand is that at the time, yeah, you know, his I think his sister called him and said, Beppe, is it true? Is it true? Are you in jail? You know, it's all over the news. They say you're in jail, and he was like, No, I'm on a train from Rome to Bologna. Mm. He claims all of that story about, you know, them basically seizing him, you know, putting cuffs on him, throwing him in jail was, was all was all misreported. Um, and, yeah, his, 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 as you were saying, in terms of them jumping on him because he was a big name and they needed a big name to make it a big story, yeah, he says, look, people knew, people knew I always wanted, I always liked to gamble. Um, you know, it comes back to that story about him with the Bondi, you know, the, where he would basically bet his teammates that how many he could eat. Uh, in 30 steps, which for people who don't know what this is, it's essentially like getting those crackers and like biting down, seeing how many you can eat because your mouth just dries out. And he said, they, everyone knew I liked to gamble. This is why they basically leaped on me. And uh, what I did was no different really from what you see in the financial sector all the time, which is, you know, guys get word that, you know, these stocks are going to fly and I, you know, basically pass on that information, you know. He was insider trading essentially, and he was like, "I was part of the game. I heard things. I acted on what I heard. I bet on things like that." Um, does that make me a match fixer? No, I never fixed any games. I was really sad, wave for such a glorious uh, career to end because I think he was, he was one of Gaza's favorite, probably Gaza's favorite teammate, and I think for a lot of people watching back in the UK, he was one of our favorites. He was mm-hmm. a smiling little folletto, you know, had a great <laughs> sense of fun. Um, well, he tells that story about Gaza. He's like, you know, when you finish training at Lazio. And you went to get in your car. If the door handle was wet, it wasn't water. Gazza had walked past it and 
Or it might be because he'd left a manta ray on your windscreen, which apparently he also did. Where he got one one of those, I'm not entirely sure, but the ways of Gaza are infinite. Anyway, <laughs> oh. anyway, oh, well. Anyway, well, OK, having explored the darker side then, uh, one or two last thoughts on, on, on Beppe Sunuri. Do you have any favourite memories of him? Well, I, I would implore listeners to go and seek out a goal that he scored for Bologna against Udinese. Big diagonal ball up there, up towards the penalty area. He gets nodded down to Signori, who, without letting it hit the floor, lifts it over a player and then uh, volleys it uh, into the top corner. So, you know, the ball never touches the ground. Um, just, uh, again, as Gav was saying, a guy who is great speed of thought, great speed of execution, um, and, uh, you know, as we've seen, in that era, to be top scorer three and four years, um, at Lazio, when you had Bierhoff, Ronaldo, Battistuta, and everyone, remarkable. And people forget he almost got Bologna into a UEFA Cup final. He almost got himself into a World Cup semi-final. But that, this is something we talk about in the in in the show, which is going to be out by the way on the thirty first of March. A little look back, oh, wow. twenty five years of, of of football Italia. When I asked him his big regret, he said um, missing the World Cup final, which because Baggio then decided he was fit. Badger played ahead of him. Beppe could have had a place in midfield, but he turned it down in the semi-final because he was so incensed with Saki's yeah. misuse well, of him. The, I mean, that was a whole '94 World Cup, in which you, know, you probably write a whole other whole other book with the sort of inherent weirdness and, and things that was going on. But there was that whole Banda Basotti thing, right? Mm. Like playing the two little guys. He, one of Saki's many weirdo inconsistencies for a guy who was supposedly so dogmatic in, in what he wanted and this ties back to Baggio but I think also Signori who had that, that really good spell with uh, with Italy were albeit a bit brief perhaps but when faced with players on form Saki would then go and contradict himself and then all of a sudden you know he, he would put his face he would put his, his faith on it and, uh, and, and and go and give space to, to Signori and Baggio together when you know, he was solid in his belief that he needed a, a Van Basten type, you know, as if you know, he's ever had one of those. I think his impact on that 94 side. Um, Sacchi's or Signori's? Signori. Yeah. Just, 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 I thought, made the whole thing more fun. I mean, although, you know, like... Well, I mean, I, I, just to go back to his time at Foggia and, and you yeah, know, his encounter with Zeman. Yeah, Zeman takes a lot of credit for basically seeing the striker in Signori that no one else saw. But, you know, Signori tells this story again about yeah, Fodger in his first season, uh, they get to Christmas, they're second from bottom, and Zeman hasn't been playing him as a striker at all up until that point. And their striker gets injured and he's out for the season. And um, they're losing 1-0 to Monza, I think, and Signori scores an equaliser, which basically keeps Zeman in the job. And it's not a, a it's not a goal from open play, what well, it is, but it's not any, anything out of you know Fodger's design. It's basically a, a back pass that goes wrong. Signori latches onto it, scores this goal, keeps Zeman into it in, in the job, and obviously then plays the rest of that season as a striker. So, if all the you, you, you're looking at something that is an incredible stroke of luck, really, and you see it often with other things that we've seen in um, yeah recent time football history, yeah Totti having that excellent sort of second half um, of his season playing as a striker. Not because, you know, Spalletti basically thought that's where I need to play him, but because all of his strikers one day were injured. And I he has... One of them was John Carew. Yeah. 
or Shubani Nonda. <laughs> and that's, that's, that, yeah, that's how it happened. First seven years of his career, not a striker. And he, he then goes on to be one of the top 10 all-time top scoring mm. players in Serie A history. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's like we see with Mertens at the moment. You know, Mertens, for example, had never been a striker. They sell Higuain, uh, they get Milik. Milik gets injured, Gaviadini can't do it. So they try Mertens there. And all of a sudden, Mertens starts scoring an insane amount of goals. And it's very similar to Signori in that, in that sense. Nice analogy. All right, well, the cafe is Cafe 188, if you're in Bologna and fancy a diesel-coloured... <laughs> Caffeine cocktail. Japanese soprano. Il Campione. Il Campione, which has been visited by all kinds of campiones. Actually, there's a a nice collage on the wall of all the famous. What was the food like, James? I didn't eat there. Actually, Ah. sadly, yeah, Bologna is one of the. It's probably the gastronomic capital. Would you say of of Italy? I would suggest it's by Parma or Modena. Okay, but all in the same area. All in the same area. Yeah, but we're very. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have roots in Parma. It it was a day that was rich in so many experiences, but not in culinary ones. Sadly, Um, we. Yeah, it is a shame. But isn't Signori originally from like near Bergamo? He's Bergamo. He's Bergamasco. Yeah. Because when Inter cut him, he went back and was working in this like as an electrician shop. Oh, was it? Yeah, he was an electrician. Leffe or something like that. And then Leffe, which which no longer even exists as a team. So wow. Anyway, well, listen. Best of luck to Beppe Signori with uh, clearing his name. You know, but I think you know, in sporting terms, we always have the fondest of memories of him, and he was um, he was in super form. On Friday, he didn't seem a man in any way bent or broken or even particularly bothered by the fact that he's been banned. Well, no, he was bothered by it. He was a bit indignant about it, but he didn't seem in any way sheepish, shall we say, about the whole thing. Good for him. By the way, although things took an un- unfortunate twist for him, you-, you could argue he still finished better off than Ivano Bonetti, who was another player who featured in that, that Sampdoria-Lazio game back in August 1992. Ivano Bonetti, who only three years later famously had a plate of chicken wings thrown at him <laughs> by Brian Lord <laughs> while, while playing for Grimsby. Do you remember that? I remember that. I also remember Ivano Bonetti then going on to, I don't know how well known this story, I suppose it's well known, he, he moved on to, to manage uh, uh, Dundee. Oh, yeah. And that whole story took a very curious, I don't know where it was, stepping into the realm of, of Scottish football, but... He went there, I think, uh, first as a player and then and then player manager. And obviously, as you do, you bring in, he brought in his brother, Dario Bonetti, who you might remember, he was a central defender. So he was a psychopath. At one point, he, he broke his hand and he started wearing this sort of metal cast on it, which he would use to accidentally bash people on the head. And he wore this cast for like eight months. <laughs> like, there's no reason to have it other than to walk around with an, with a, with an offensive uh, weapon. Hired a bunch of other people, including um, a guy named Patrizio Biglio, former... Milan Primavera, um, all these guys came in, and then the whole thing took a weird turn because because it wasn't already. Well, it took a weird, <laughs> took an even weirder turn because there were a lot of very unclear things with the owners of the club. And one day, Patrizio Biglio, um, I think they wanted all these players to leave because they were making too much money. And yeah, Dario came around money. with his steel hand, and yeah, no, I I think they managed to get rid of Dario, but. Um, Patrizio Biglio and somebody else, one day they're like they're like walking in like the car park and these two guys emerge from bushes and start beating them up and he ended up in uh, ended up in hospital. It's pretty clear intimidation. Ivano Bonetti's life is could be worthy of uh, of, of its own film. Nicely done. By the way, if you are a fan of old team sheets, 
that Sam one had much to enjoy. It was Sven Joran Eriksson's first league game, wasn't it, with mm-hmm. uh, with Sam Doria? He had uh, Roberto Mancini, who of course went on to great things at Lazio. Who was the manager? Who <laughs> was the manager? It certainly had been under Vujadin Boskov, mm. I think. Uh, Pagliuca was in goal. Attilio Lombardo was there. Another future manager and Mancini loyalist and assistant. Mm. Yeah. Enrico Chiesa. Who gave the world Federico Chiesa. Indeed he did. <laughs> Which one day might be remembered as his greatest contribution to football. Do you think? More than his own, kind of. Federico Chiesa. So, you know, I, I, I retweeted this thing a while back. Oh, this is amazing. Which, which you've seen, which I have nothing to do with it. Oh, when he's a... When he, when oh, he's, he's a yeah, he's yeah, like, he's like a beautiful. one-year-old and like Chiesa's at Fiorentina and they've just sold Batistuta and his dad's being interviewed and then this little bouncy boy comes in and, and they ask him, wait, now that Batistuta's gone, like, who's going to score the goals for Fiorentina? And he's supposed to say his dad and like, no, like, I will! <laughs> and then the prophecy came to pass. Fantastic. His destiny is manifest. Plus, he's a good, he's a nice guy. He's a good person. Mm. Okay, that which speaks great English as well. Does he? Well, he went to international school, yeah. Oh, yeah. very nice. Yeah. I was always a big fan of his his father. Pietro Vierkowood was also there, as he was for about three or four decades. Yeah, this is old Pietro Vierkowood by that point, right? Yeah. Well, was yeah, but he young? still played on for about, I think he was about 34 at the time. He still played on for ages. Yeah, he played on past 40. League, no? I think he was born in 1959, Pietro Vierkowood. Right. His, his father was interned, wasn't he? In the, he was a prisoner of war then settled in Italy where he had been interned and, and, and Pietro was the result. Lozard. Anyway, all right, well, listen, we've got a massive weekend to preview and not much time to do it in, listeners, so we best move on to that after this. <laughs> listeners, on a show like this, you want a couple of smooth Italians, don't you? Well, James Richardson and James Horncastle aren't Italian, but they are smooth, and that's because they use the Harry's shaving system. Harry's, well, they want you to be smooth. They value smooth as much as they value precision. The precision of their German-engineered blades. The precision of their non-slip texture grip razors. The precision of their precisely 60-second adverts. You can be smooth too. All you have to do is head to harrys.com slash galazzo. Harry's cucumber and aloe shave gel lathers into a luxurious foam, allowing those aforementioned German-engineered blades to glide across your face. And their post-shave balm will leave you extra cool and fresher than ever. Because you listen to Galazzo, you can get a free Harry's trial set delivered right to your door for just £3.95. Find out more at harrys.com slash galazzo. That's G-O-L-A-Z-Z-O. Gabriele Marcosi, how many years have you been following Serie A? Since I was a kid. Since you were a youth. Can you remember a weekend like this one? Just to to remind you, everyone, the top eight are facing each other. You've got Mm Napoli-Roma. You've got Lazio, who are the only team who can stop Juventus facing Juventus. You've got the Milan derby. And also you've got Atalanta-Sam, which could be really good because there's some great players involved in that lot. Yeah. Wow. Napoli, of course, coming into this weekend, four points clear of Juventus because Juve's game with Atalanta was snowed off on Sunday. Which, yeah, I think, you know, Juve, much as they would have liked to have played this game and have gone temporarily ahead of Napoli, um, memories of that game against Galatasaray, Uh memories of that game against Perugia. The the whole dispute behind it, though, was Atalanta, because because of the Europa League, Play this whole lineup of kids. They had like three dead. I mean, they all often have homegrown guys anyway. And so for Juve, I think the conundrum was all right. 
do we go and play against these no-names in the snow, but they might still run faster and stuff, or do we wait and then play more of a full-strength Atalanta later? But, I mean, it's quite amusing because Napoli fans were, were kicking off about this, weren't they? When all that, way. all that Atlanta were doing, which is it was exactly what Napoli have done with mm. the Europa League and the Coppa Italia, which is feel the weakened team because their priority is the Although league. In Atalanta's case, the priority is the cups. Yeah. So, heartbreakingly close, Napoli were to actually, to actually going through out on away goals in the end of the Europa League. But anyway, so on Monday night, then Napoli did play at Cagliari, which I thought might be a tough game for them, but it, <laughs> but it wasn't. <laughs> 5-0. Yeah, five different goal scorers. Yeah. And when your backup left back is scoring free kicks like the one he did at the end of the game, yeah. you think, is it their year? Well, four points clear now as they head into this weekend, which sees them take on a Roma side who got beaten last weekend by Milan in what is fair to say Milan's best performance in years and years and years. Is that fair? Oh, I don't know. When was the last time you saw Milan look that confident, that assured, that I mean, composed? They, they had a tremendous second half. Mm. I think there have been other situations, I think even under Montella, yeah. where they've played this well, okay. but were maybe unlucky. And remember, too, about about Roma was that, you know, they, they because of the Champions League in midweek and this, this strange Italian belief that it's physically impossible for a professional footballer to play twice in one week without something bad happening... You know, they they were playing Schick and stuff, you know, guys like that. And That's a name of play. That's not an adjective. It's, sorry, you just explained <laughs> yeah, it. That's exactly. Right. Kind of, you know. Yeah, Roma were really poor in the second half and Milan were, were really good. And the neat thing about Catuzzo is that, you know, we all imagined him. I mean, I wrote this in my ESPN column. I imagined him when, when he came in that, oh, look, he's going to kick off the backside and be Mr. Shouty and stuff like that. No, they were actually... Very, I thought, pretty sophisticated mm. tactically. Mm. What they did in that in that game against Roma, which isn't you know, it's not it's not easy to play against against Roma right now. Um, so so well done to Gattuso. I mean, he's certainly proving to be a little bit more multifaceted yeah. than those who just the way know, they so, opened I mean, up. Um, mm. Sorry, no, I was just going to say the way they opened up Roma mm. makes you wonder what they could do to Arsenal. But that's a question we'll be addressing in next week's Golasso. Mm. Sorry, James, you do go. No, on. Another great thing about Milan is that I think um, Gattuso's got. Yeah, some of the players that they signed in the summer to playing something approximating their potential, at least meeting expectation. But he's got these kids from the youth system, um, and both of them scored at the weekend, Cuterone and Calabria. Yeah, that that points to a future, I think, for Milan, which you know, given everything we discussed last week about their ownership situation, it's good that you know their their academy is actually is producing players. Um, at the moment, you know, it's given them Donnarumma, it's given them Locatelli, it's now given them Calabria, Cutrone. That's that's very encouraging. Um, and I know a lot of people wondered what Galliani and Berlusconi were up to in those final years, but you know, they did make a point that we were you know, putting some money or more focus into the academy. We were not spending money on players, and so he had to play the ones from the youth. We owe them a, a hey, guess of... what? They're actually pretty good. Yeah. Mm. But they, they have a ton of young. Sorry, but Cassie uh, Conti, when he, when he comes back as a player and a half, uh-huh. you know, people are going to laugh about Suzo, but, you know, he's been He's really been amazing good. for them. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, really, really good. This is a yeah. team progressing to the mean, though. I mean, this is where they should be. No, in terms of how they put, how they, I mean, they've got the second highest wage bill in the league. Mm-hmm. They spent two hundred twenty million in the summer. Yeah, they they, they should be stringing these results together. So. What well, these results are: five straight wins, five straight clean sheets, unbeaten 
in 12 matches. They've got the derby with a struggling Inter at the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Inter, who did get a win but didn't impress against Benevento. Uh, before that, this evening, they're taking on Lazio uh, in the Coppa Italia semi-finals, the other one being uh, what Juve Atalanta that's mm-hmm. also taking place, place this evening. Lazio, who had gone five games without a win, have now won... Two in a row, whipping Stau Bucharest 5-1 and then 3-0 at the weekend against Sassuolo. So what, eight goals in two? Yeah, I don't think we'll be able to sing our favourite club song for much longer. Oh, and Nero Verdi look like they're in, in trouble. A world of Only pain. Only 15 goals they've scored this season. Which one, you've got Berardi, Politano and, yeah, be it Kumar, Babacar, Matri and Falcinelli. You were there before. Yeah, lost it with Matri, but yeah, yeah no. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> you could have just stopped at Babacar. No, no, I think there are six but, yeah. individual players who have mm. scored more goals than Sassuolo have as a team. Oh, and this is a team that has Domenico Bedadi, who for three years got more than what fifteen goals, and now just hasn't kicked on in the way that many people. Well, he's had injuries, of course. Well, yeah, but yeah, no, it's been an issue, and you know, perhaps that's the regression to the mean from Sassuolo, mm. who who were a massive surprise this weekend. Then those four games. Which one excites you most, Gab? You've got Lazio, Juve, Napoli, Roma, Milan against Inter and Atalanta, Sam. Migusun de Milan, so I was born at the Ospedale San Carlo. <laughs> uh, across the street from the San Siro, there is only one place. It's the land of everything under the, under the Madonino. It takes care of all of us. So it's, it's, it's Inter and Milan. It's not right. Derby. How, how do you see Inter's chances? Um, look, I think Milan have to come down to earth. I... <laughs> You know, and there is a whole, I don't believe in stereotypes and traditions, but it is kind of what you, you hang on to a little bit if you're an Inter fan, uh, which is that... Um, a book going out well, the window? Which is in the derby, that the team that goes in with a better form often stumbles. But um, I, I, I'm really curious because logic would say, all right, if you're Spalletti, in the end what you do is you keep it tight and, you know, you live with the draw. But... This Milan side, they showed such maturity, you know, and, and, and seeing Chalanoglu run and work and seeing Bonucci, you know, not think that he's Beckenbauer because he isn't, you know, not, not spraying those stupid balls which go all over the place, but like, hey, look, me and Romagnoli, we're maybe one of the top three or four defensive partnerships in the world mm-hmm. if we actually sit and defend and we cut out this, this other nonsense. That's another great thing Gattuso did. All those clever clogs saying, oh, well, Barucci can only play in a back three. Oh, Montella goes. No, no, no. He's a central defender. He plays in a back two. This is what normal people do. You know, it might be some situations where it's a back three. So. I like the Gazette on Monday saluting Gazzuzzo's achievement by superimposing his face on all the players. He had a, the Milan squad, but they're all Gattuso. Yeah. It's quite scary, really. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but, so that's the Milan derby. What about Lazio Juve, though? Can Lazio stop Juve again, James? Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, they are a team that I think are really awkward to play against, um, who've beaten them twice this year, and deservedly so, in the Super Cup, and then going to the Allianz Stadium and winning their what for the first time since Simone Inzaghi was still a Lazio player. And yeah, their best players, after looking a little bit jaded after Christmas, now seem to be hitting top form again. Immobile seems to have shaken off that injury he had sort of just... Um, before Christmas and Milinkovic is playing like he knows all these elite European clubs are after him and uh, I think you know you've, you've got to give it that Inzaghi credit um, How much do you think Allegri's going to second guess himself thinking ahead to the Champions League? 
I think uh, he seems to keep uh, saying that, and he has to say this to some extent. That the title race is so close; they can't, they can't second guess themselves. They can't, you know, rotate in a way that he perhaps would have would like. You know, considering some of the injuries that they've had. Now they've got people back now, um, which does increase his options. This 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 should be a, a fascinating game. Which will be the best game to watch? Do you think? Well, I mean, I'm with Gav. I mean, the last Milan derby was probably one of the games of the season. Yeah, three two. Icardi scored a hat trick. Mm. Uh, Milan kept coming back until what Ricardo Rodriguez gave that um, ridiculous penalty away. Uh, you're spoiled for choice. You really are. Because I mean, the thing is with with Napoli, you know, I would watch all of their games regardless of who they're playing against because they. And you think, I think the weather is also going to have a bit of an impact here and that might, I mean, it's dire in Milan. Mm. I'm sure it's going to be dire even, in Turin. Even in Naples, I, the pitch is a snowbound. Yeah, it's not going to be great in Naples, but I would assume that, you know, by the weekend, it, it might be a little bit better in, mm. in Naples. I mean, it's bizarre. I mean, there's a, there's a round of Serie B going on at the moment. And a lot of those games have been called off. But oddly, there was one in Nevada... Um, with what Nevada and Foggia, and that was played, even though it's right in the north of Italy, and you'd expect. And then there was one in Bari, and that was called off. <laughs> so it's just like <laughs> I could probably answer that question about why, but let's move on. <laughs> All right, James. Many thanks for today. Pleasure. Hope you enjoy the weekend, Gabriele. Thank you for being with us next week because we don't talk enough about Milan. We're going to have a proper chat about them and their chances against Arsenal and loads of other things as well, reacting to the derby and whatever this weekend brings us. Have a super time till then, listeners, and thanks for joining us for now from all of us. Here it is. Arrivederci. You've been listening to Golazzo, the totally Italian football show. It's a Muddy Knees Media production, and for sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Not nearly enough football league, though. Why don't you give the Totally Football League show a try? You'll find us on Audio Boom, iTunes, all the other places you get your podcasts.